Hello and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson. And joining me today, once again, the guest that I guess never leaves. You know, you always have that guest. Um, you know, it's the holiday season. And that, that, that one guest that just kind of sticks around for a while. And uh, on, on our program, that's what we call Aaron White. So, Pastor Aaron White, welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast, that warm welcome. It is really good to be here again, <laughs> as always. <laughs> All right, and um, Pastor White is one of the elders at Redeemer Bible Church up in Minnesota. And I, and I always say just Minnesota because I can never pronounce the name of the city that you're actually in. And I'm not going to try to. Minnetonka. You know, like Tonka trucks, just Minnetonka. Like a mini Tonka truck. Yeah. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll just go with that. <laughs> so, um, so, Aaron, it's another week and you've written another book. And that's, you know, it is, you know, I joke about that because you write more books than most people actually read in their lifetime. <laughs> but, um, you know, it is great that, that your church allows you the time to do that because it is a ministry, not just to the people of your church, but to the church um, universal as well. And so um, I'll give you the rare compliment and say that, that you've been a blessing in that way and that your, your writings, um, you know, anyone who knows you, and if you've been on the podcast, listen to, your, to some of your messages out there. You know that you know your theology, and you 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 dive down deep into God's word, which is great. But you write in such a way that's meant for you know the average person in the pew. And you're and if you can correct me if I'm wrong, but your purpose seems to be to you know give us a little more insight, help us to see uh, just the glory of God radiate all the more um you point people to christ you point people to the gospel and you know in, in a way that i think you try to overwhelm the soul with with his goodness is that is that an accurate representation you think well i mean i i'm really humbled by hearing that um there's a lot of authors out there that are serving as kind of tributaries flowing through my head and heart and into my pen um, so, you know, I'm really just kind of taking what I've received and chewing on it, meditating on it, delighting in it, and then just trying to give it away um, in terms of the gospel. But you're right. I mean, I make no claim to be the best author or the best theologian, but. Oh, but make sure I, I, I would never say that about. Just make sure oh, I know. Yeah. I know. I'm actually surprised you said what you said, um, <laughs> especially since I didn't send you any free books, man. Right. Sorry. Uh, but, yo, you're right. I mean, I, uh, I think it was J.C. Ryle, you know, he, he was more of a pamphleteer. You know, I love J.C. Ryle's writing on holiness and advice to young men and different things. But J.C. Ryle was more of a pamphleteer. Like his books were accessible for the laity. They were God centered. They were gospel centered. Uh, they weren't heavy. They weren't big. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess in a way, I, I kind of really appreciate J.C. Ryle's kind of pamphleteering mentality. Um, and quite honestly, I to sit down and write like a 700-page tome of some kind, I, I would really, <laughs> I would need a ton of help and a lot of coffee. And, and we wouldn't read it anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. I, I it, would just start repeating myself after page 200. It would, <laughs> 
it would be on my bookshelf and I would show people, but I definitely would not read. Right. Right. Well, I, I wouldn't fault you for that because I do the same thing, but <laughs> no, I, I want it to be understandable. I want it to be helpful. I want anything I write to be pastorally helpful. Um, and honestly, I'm thankful for academic works. I, I've been helped by heavily academic works, but I mean, even some of those that <laughs> I have to work so hard to understand when I'm reading that I, it really doesn't leave a lot of energy right. to delight over what I'm understanding. And so I, I never, it's just not my gig to, to do that to people. Yeah. And I don't, you know, and I don't want to make, make sure I, I don't misunderstand that we're not saying those things are bad and they certainly have uh, their place. Um, absolutely. You know, and I, I'm glad they exist. Um, but um, we do need things that are more accessible to people so that, um, I, so that we don't hide the glory of Christ. Not that it could be hid, but we want people to see and to savor and to uh, enjoy all that, that Christ has for us. Amen. I, well, especially, too, I, I have the joy of um, living with my wife, and we have five kids. And just thinking of her, she loves the Lord. She loves good, meaty, rich theology that points her to Christ. But reality is, you know, <laughs> trying to raise kids and, and take care of a household and make sure that I'm staying out of trouble. You know, so I think she represents to me a large portion of, you know, my congregation that it's not a mark against their love of the Lord. They love Jesus deeply, but with life and everything else, if I can give them something they can read maybe a chapter before they head off to work and just chew on it for the day. And, and that can strengthen their faith. Then that that's what I'll do. And so most of the things I've written have been with someone in mind who gets up early, grabs their Bible and, and a devotional book, you know, reads it, digest it, preaches it to themselves and then grabs their lunchbox and heads out the door. Um, that's kind of been my heart all along. And I think this is a really good segue into the book we're going to be talking about today which is, I don't have a drum roll or anything, but uh, Seeing the Savior, a devotional introduction to biblical theology. It's a short book, um, and again, it's an, it's an introduction, but it's, it is devotional. It's, it's um, you know, I, re I read it all last night, and I just want to, I just want to say that, you know, no you applause read the whole needed. thing in one night? I, I, read, I read the whole thing last night. Um, wow. I am the kid who crams the last minute before the test. Uh, <laughs> aren't you a teacher <laughs> um i've got no comment on that but okay um okay. uh but you know it, it is really i can do it but it's not meant to do that it, it, it's 15 short chapters and again it is devotional and it you know you at the end of each chapter you give uh some questions to ponder and even a, a verse to memorize so it's it's really easy to use in like a small group or a devotional um uh, even with the family i think um, but let's back up before we even get to all of that, because um, we were just talking about the idea of big, rich theology books that no one outside of seminary is going to read. And you're trying to digest all of, make that all digestible to somebody who's, you know, average sitting in the pew or the housewife uh, managing the house or even just the guy who is uh, running off to work each day. Because um, that's kind of where the context of this book, you talk about in the, in the introduction that you're reading. Uh, the book by uh, Edmund Clowney, Preaching Christ in All Scripture. Tell us a little bit about that experience and how that kind of translates into what you've written. Oh, goodness, brother. I, 
I mean, I was a sponge, you know, just taking in anything theologically sound. I, I wanted to really just consume my Bible. And um, I mean, I was in seminary and taking classes and different things and serving in a local church, a, go a good local church, Bible church. And I'm not sure if it was an assignment or if I had heard Clowney's name. I mean, once you hear Edmund Clowney, it's just such a unique name. You're like, what? Um, somehow I got my hands on that book, you know, seeing Christ and all of scripture, the unfolding mystery and, and a couple of other works that basically are biblical theology that I, even then, I don't know that I even understood the, you know, the terminology and stuff, but I was, I was reading it in the hospital after one of my sons was born. So my wife was, you know, taking care of the baby and I was sitting on the little futon in the room. I just remember being there and, uh, I remember reading Clowney unpacking Exodus 17 with the water from the rock. And if you know Clowney's writing, I mean, he's not committing allegory. He's not stretching the text. He's just very dedicated, you know, to a more covenantal, uh, redemptive historical view. And basically, I got my Bible sitting next to me. I'm reading this book. And he says, if you look and see what Paul says, in first Corinthians 10, he says that Christ was the rock in the wilderness and he's going back to Exodus 17. And I had a, a single column ESV reference Bible and that I had been using, but I remember looking at it going, yeah, it's right there. It, it's a cross reference back between Exodus 17 and first Corinthians. And Paul says the rock was Christ. And in my mind, I'm just going, okay, this is something I really need to contemplate here and so anyway Clowney was kind of my way into seeing more symmetry between the old and new testament not not an allegory or stretching the text out of proportion you know but in a faithful but very rich way really began to unlock the old testament for me in some very fresh ways just to see christ more beautifully and more clearly in types shadows prophecies even appearances and christophanies and so I just, yeah, I, I just remember sitting in the hospital room, just marveling, going, my goodness, just when you think the gospel can't get any better. Right. It does. So you want to see Christ. In fact, I, I, um, I was just talking with a mutual friend of ours and um, she was mentioning. Wait, wait, wait. What, what are his initials? Um, CC. Okay. To her. It's not RJ. No, it's not RJ. Okay. Well, if, if RJ is listening, tell him I love him and say hi. I will do that. I, I, I just saw him yesterday. <laughs> um, and we're talking about Ray Jewel, by the way, right? Is that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Santa Claus. Um, yeah, Santa. Um, <laughs> anyway, our, our, our sometimes co-host on the podcast. Uh, in fact, we're trying to schedule some time to do some more recording. Anyway, I was talking with another friend of ours, and it's amazing that you do have more than two friends. And um, she was mentioning that you had recommended the book Jesus on Every Page by David Murray. Um, yeah. And, you know, what I like about that book, there's, there's something honestly better about that book than this book that you've written. And that's that uh, Dr. Murray sent me a copy free. You know, being the media mogul that I am, he recognized my status in the podcast world and wanted to make sure I had an advanced copy of that. Um, just you know, throw that out there. He's been on the podcast before 
It's been a hey, while. I, I will not argue. David Murray's book, Jesus on Every Page, hands down, is one of the best, most accessible, most enjoyable books on biblical theology and, and seeing Christ in all of scripture that I've ever read. So I won't even argue, and I will absolutely affirm that Murray's book is fantastic. And his accent is much better than yours. Yes. Anybody that has a English, Scottish, Irish accent immediately gains 50 IQ points. It's really unfair. But yes, it is. I mean, just the sound alone makes him sound intelligent. I think in the new heaven and new earth, everyone's going to have really rich uh, English accents. Well, that's that's true, because, you know, if you watch enough TV like I do, you know, every Bible movie that there is, everybody has an English accent. I'm assuming that yeah, that's, that's yeah. originally what, you know, Adam yeah. was speaking. Even Pharaoh and right, so that's a little bit of eschatological foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before we get into too much trouble, uh, I, I do before we jump into your book specifically, I want to talk about biblical theology and just the idea of seeing Christ in all of Scripture because I think there has been a criticism of that, and, and you kind of alluded to it earlier in that sometimes it seems like maybe are you are you what is there a danger in trying to read too much into Scripture, especially some of the Old Testament narrative. Um, you know, can't, is it, is it a stretch to say that, you know, uh, going back to Murray's book, Jesus on every page is, is, is really every sentence in the scripture about Jesus. Is, is there a danger of trying to read into the text something that's not there? Yeah, I had the pleasure of teaching an adult Sunday school class at my church, just completed it actually. And a lot of the material is basically taken from the book, seeing the savior, you know, the one you're, you're talking about. And um, in that class, I constantly try to remind them that Christ is the hermeneutical key that unlocks all of scripture. Yeah. And if someone were to hear me say that and say, okay, justify that comment, I would go to Luke 24, 27 and 44, where after his resurrection, Jesus is walking with the dejected disciples. And, you know, he, he says to them, do you not know that everything written about me and the law, and the prophets and the writings which is just another way of saying all of the Old Testament, he says, is about me. And it says he interpreted for them the scriptures. So, you know, some theologians have called that in Luke 24, the greatest sermon ever heard, because you have Jesus Christ exegeting himself from all of the Old Testament. Now, does that mean every verse? Every, Of course not. But it definitely says that Christ saw the totality of the Old Testament pointing to himself. So I think there is clear her hermeneutical grounds to be on the hunt right. for Christ right. in the Old Testament. Now, yes, there are hermeneutical guidelines. You know, you, you certainly don't want to slip into allegory to where every rock and every tree somehow morphs into, you know, Christ and different things. But at my church, just a few weeks ago, we hosted the Christ-Centered and Clear Conference, which that's the new publishing arm that produced Seeing the Savior. And we had a number of speakers come and, and talk. And one of them was Dr. John Aiken, uh, one of Danny Aiken's sons. And John Aiken just did a wonderful job talking about the symmetry between the Old and New Testament, seeing Christ in the Old Testament. And he said something I thought was just fantastic. Uh, you know, Dr. Aiken said, yes, we want to practice proper hermeneutics. No, we don't want to allegorize. He goes, but if I have to err on one side or the other, I'd rather err on seeing Christ too much and preaching the gospel too much than not enough. Right. And that doesn't mean to be slapdash in your interpretations. But I think if I have to choose, 
you know, if I'm going to fall out of the saddle to the right or to the left, I'd rather see Christ too much (laughs) than not enough. Because boy, I tell you, I've sat through a lot of sermons from the Old Testament that never got to Christ. Hmm. And they did not lift my soul to heaven. They did not strengthen me for the battle. But man, I tell you, I've heard a lot of sermons that point me to Christ from the Old Testament. And and they absolutely, in, in a unique way, maybe even more than Ephesians or Galatians, you know, when I hear Christ lifted up from Numbers or Leviticus, and it just it just makes me sing. And so I just appreciate that mentality. It doesn't mean you're foolish with your interpretations, but I want to. Jesus says it's all about Him, and I, I I'm going to land there. Right. And so in the book, you you go through basically from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, it, it's it's not a commentary. It's not a verse by verse. Uh, uh, again, it's an introduction to biblical theology. It's devotional, um, but you're you're hitting all the parts, the basic parts of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, and um, it's fascinating how you do it. You you, you you pluck things here and there, and um, you know there there are some passages where this is more obvious than others. Uh, I mean, you look at Leviticus 16. Uh, the Day of Atonement. I mean, you can see Christ gleaming through there. And if you can't, then there's a serious problem. Uh, then you miss the, the, the entire point of the passage. Um, and, and there are other places where yeah, you can see that. Um, I think then, you have a phone call on your 1920s phone that I just heard. No, actually, what you heard was my, uh, I'm in my classroom and the bell just rang because it's a Friday and uh, we're supposed to be in school right now. Um, but anyway, I want to read this passage here because, uh, you know, I, I, I'm teaching through an Old Testament survey class right, right now. And I have to admit, when I, as I just finished the book of Deuteronomy, I, I didn't cover this chapter in depth. Um, but you, co- you, you cover this actually in two parts of the book. And I want to read this in Deuteronomy 23. Um, and you know where I'm going. Verse 9. Mm-hmm. When you are encamped against your enemies, you shall keep yourself from every evil thing. If any man among you becomes unclean because of a nocturnal emission, then he shall go outside the camp. He shall not come inside the camp, but when he comes in the evening, he shall bathe himself in water as the sun sets. He may come inside the camp. You shall have a place outside the camp, and you shall go to it. You shall have a trowel with you and your tools. When you sit down beside, you shall dig a hole with it. And turn back and cover it up with your excrement. Um, and you're talking about Christ in all of this. And I have to admit, that's not the first passage I would have turned to in the Old Testament um, to see Christ. So tell us a little bit about that, because I, I think this this is this is the, this chapter in and of itself is worth the price of the book. Well, I, I was. I was preaching from Deuteronomy for some time and Deuteronomy is specifically kind of the, the revisiting of the law and the, the purity laws and worship laws and various things. And it was a joy to preach through, you know, but you come to some of those sections and if you're an expository preacher, it can really test your metal because you're thinking, how can I something like that, you know, yeah, digging a hole and covering up your excrement and different things. But if you really believe in the sufficiency of scripture, the authority of scripture, you know, you dare not jump over these things just out for the sake of, of exigency. So you have to ponder and say, okay, Lord, this is your word. 
this is for every generation. It's for the church. How, how do I faithfully preach these purity laws or, or whatever it may be um, that are somewhat enigmatic and uncomfortable, and, but it's your word. And, and ultimately, how do I get to Christ? Um, and that's where biblical theology is helpful. Systematic theology is helpful to where you're not getting hung up in the details itself. You're seeing it in the overall storyline of scripture, the meta narrative of scripture. And so you look at a passage like that, where God is saying, I'm holy. I will be marked as holy. Uh, things that are considered unclean need to be taken out of my presence, you know, and that when you start saying it that way, you realize you go, well, that's the whole point of the Bible is how can a holy God bring unholy, unclean people into his presence without becoming unholy himself, that we, we, must, we must somehow become unclean. We must somehow be cleansed. And actually, I mean, I, the excrement part is really uncomfortable, but if you read the chapter in my book on Zechariah 3, when it says that, you know, I, in this vision, he sees Joshua the high priest before the angel of the Lord, in filthy garments that filthy garments really it's kind of striking the same note it's like excrement it's something that's completely nauseating and, and unclean and filthy but that's how he appears before a holy god how can he be made right how can he be made clean and so in all those things it begs the question okay i, I know the storyline of scripture it's it's telling me that god is holy how can unclean things and unclean people come into his presence and that's the whole point is that it drives you to the gospel that by imputed righteousness by faith in christ alone his purity covers us so that we can be brought joyfully into the presence of of our father Hmm. so again it kind of goes back to knowing the storyline of scripture um and because i want christians i want my congregants i want my family I want people to enjoy reading their Bibles and I want them to read their Bibles confidently. And I mean, we all kind of squirm and get uncomfortable in certain parts of the old Testament or song of Solomon or different places because of things like that. But, you know, after the, after the giggle subsides, I still want people to read it and I still want them to enjoy it. And I still want them to treat it as the authoritative word of God. So what do you do with a, you know, a passage like that. Well, if you don't see Christ in it or connect it to the gospel, I don't really know what to tell you. Um, right. Because the primary point is not about what you do with your excrement. The primary point is how do we, who are unclean, become clean so that we can come into the camp. And, I, and, and that, I see how, you know, a lot of people get bogged down. When you get went Deuteronomy or Leviticus or some of these other things, we get dog, uh, you know, Dodge out in a lot of these little uh, minute detail things. We miss the bigger picture. And, right. and again, I think Christ is that bigger picture. That well, and quite honestly, I think if you don't see Christ in a passage like that, you're actually in more danger of allegorizing it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, I, I think you're pretty safe to say this connects me to the gospel somehow. This whole idea of unclean things being taken out of the presence of God and if you don't see the gospel, I think allegorizing the text is probably, or committing eisegesis is probably your next step because what else are you going to do? And I don't want that. I I don't want that for God's people. Um, So yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. (laughs) All right. And you know, there's, there's lots more questions. If our time is running down, 
Um, I, I there, there's lots of, of good material in this book. I've, I've got a lot of quotations written down here on my paper that we're just not going to get to, which is fine because I want you to buy the book and you can get to these points on your own. But I want you to unpack once. This is my my favorite part of the book. Um, no, my favorite part was not the excrement part. Um, but it's on page. I'm, I'm I've got a Kindle version, so I don't know page 74, 75. Uh, but you're talking about, I believe it's it's Second Corinthians um, two, and you're talking about basically the gospel summarized here in a verse. Um, but I want you to unpack the statement. I think it's great. Um, what you said was the cross remi- remains a scandal to this day, and any effort to relieve it of its scandalous nature attempts to rob it of its beauty. Well, you know, when I say scandal. What, what I don't mean is that God should have been just with us, but instead he pardoned us, you know, because right. in, in that kind of, that would be a scandal in a, in a legal sense that, you know, we're, we're guilty. The judge should have slammed down the hammer, but you know, he kind of winked at us and let us go like that. That's nothing to celebrate. That's injustice. But if the judge made a way, so that justice could be served and yet the guilty go free. And not only that, but he adopts them into his family. That's scandalous in a, in a justice preserving, but beautifully shocking way. And that's what I mean when you say the gospel, second Corinthians five twenty one for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God, that God did it he made a way for his holiness to be preserved and yet declare unholy people to be holy. And not only does he declare them to be holy, but he adopts them into his family and he loves them as his children. Um, This is mind blowing. This is, this is why it says that angels long to look into the salvation, that they're peering over the bowels of heaven to, to see what God is doing in saving undeserving wretches like you and me. And I pray to my own self, like self, don't ever get bored with that. Don't, don't ever act as if you've plumbed the depths of that. If angels are marveled by this, how much more should we be? And so that's what I mean, that whenever you try to blunt the blade of the gospel, what I mean is make less God, make, make God less holy than he really is. Make man less sinful than he really is. Make Jesus, you know, more of a therapist than a savior, then it, it just, it robs it of the scandal that it's meant to be that God who is holy made a way for unholy people to be counted as holy without becoming unholy. That's, it's insane. It's amazing. Again, the name of the book we're talking about is seeing the savior, a devotional introduction to biblical theology by Aaron White. And so Aaron, thank you for, for taking the time and coming on the podcast today. And uh, <laughs> in fact, we've got a reschedule. In fact, I had to cancel an interview earlier with you about another book that you've written about a, another children's book. I think it's book on mm-hmm. First Corinthians um, that we've got to go through sometime. And you know, next week when you write another book, we'll have you back on. <laughs> um, so, uh, <laughs> what do you do? You have anything? I'm, I'm curious. Is there a next project you have in mind already that you already finished halfway through, or, or, or what's what's coming next down the pike? Yeah, well, like you mentioned at the beginning, I've been really blessed. You know, my church in Minnetonka at Redeemer Bible Church, they they give me a lot of time to write 
for my local church, but also for a broader audience. And one of the projects that I'm working on right now, and actually um, I have like a whole week of writing coming up here at the beginning of December. It's uh, called Enduring Grace, hmm. 30, 31 Testimonies of the Extraordinary Power of the Gospel in the Lives of Ordinary Christians. Hmm. What we did was we went, and with a lot of help from um, office staff and other pastors and people at Redeemer, but we went and interviewed 31 of our older saints. I won't say elderly, I'll just say older. Um, but we asked them for their testimonies. We asked them, what advice would you give younger readers? How has God sustained you? And we put their testimonies into a 31-day devotional. And so you're going to read how God has saved and preserved real-life Christians that no one knows other than heaven. Um, they're not famous Christians, you know, like a Spurgeon or something. These are just regular people like us that, you know, they're in their 70s, 80s. They've been through a lot. And you just said regular people like us. Then you said 70s, 80s. Um, <laughs> I feel like the, 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 well, the whiteness of my beard is deceiving you. I was going to say, I, I wouldn't have made that, but now with the beard, I don't know, man. But don't <laughs> shave it, though. It looks really, really nice. You know, but, I think uh, if I were to read this project, project it would be the... That's the project that's going to be coming out hopefully this spring. You know, looking at the two of us right now, I think we should start a, a podcast, the the bearded, I don't know, bearded Baptist podcast or. Um, it's probably I already a thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting some great in my beard, okay. the new experience, but I'm kind of digging it, though. Well. I can't say I'm digging it, but anyway. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you, everyone else for, for listening. We'll have the. The link to that on our pod, on our uh, podcast page as well, so you can go and buy a copy of that, which we want you to do. Again, the title of the book: "Seeing the Savior: A Devotional Introduction to Biblical Theology." So um, that's all we have for this week. So join us back next week. We'll we'll be hopefully back on. And um, don't forget to check out our website at www.basicbiblepodcast.org and Facebook. Uh, join the group there. In fact, we're going to be giving away some books this Christmas, so you're going to want to join that Facebook page. And I remember I, there's a pastor that used to live in the area up in Janesville that used to give me free books. But anyway, um, he moved away out of the will of God, and now it doesn't give me anything free. But that's another story. Uh, but on uh, Twitter and Instagram, at uh, Basic Bible Cast. So until next week, have a great rest of your week. 